All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton standing in the confessional corner with you this week as we wrap up our look at Luther's large catechism in the sacrament of the altar. Next week, we do have the rest of the small catechism, kind of what most people think of as the appendix in sections two, three, and four of the table of duties, the daily prayers, and the Christian questions and their answers. So I encourage you to listen for that next week. But this week, we finish up, we wrap up Luther talking about the Lord's Supper as we look at Large Catechism, Part 5, paragraphs 64 to 87, starting on page 438 in the Concordia of the Lutheran Confessions. In the second place, there is besides this command also a promise, as we heard above. This ought most strongly to stir us up and encourage us. For here stand the kind and precious words, This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. These words I have said are not preached to wood and stone, but to me and you. Otherwise, Christ might just as well be silent and not institute a sacrament. Therefore, consider and read yourself into this word you, so that he may not speak to you in vain. Here he offers to us the entire treasure that he has brought for us from heaven. With the greatest kindness, he invites us to receive it also in other places, like when he says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is surely a sin and a shame that he so cordially and faithfully summons and encourages us to receive our highest and greatest good, yet we act so distantly toward it. We permit so long a time to pass without partaking of the sacrament that we grow quite cold and hardened, so that we have no longing or love for it. We must never think of the sacrament as something harmful from which we had better flee, but as a pure, wholesome, and comforting remedy that grants salvation and comfort. It will cure you and give you life both in soul and body. For where the soul has recovered, the body also is relieved. Why then do we act as if the sacrament were a poison, the eating of which will bring us death? Here Luther says, we should never, must never, think of the sacrament as something harmful that we need to flee from. But it is a pure, wholesome, and comforting remedy that gives us salvation and comfort. Helps us in both body and soul with salvation. So why? Why is it that so many people act like it's a poison, that it's going to kill them? That is necessarily true for those who despise the sacrament, as we'll see in a moment. But for those who truly, rightfully view and believe that they are receiving Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of their sins, they receive the comfort, they receive the remedy. But those who do not believe that the body and blood are there, or who do not believe that salvation comes from these small tokens, do not receive the comfort. They do not receive the blessing. They receive condemnation on themselves, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. So let's take a look at that real quick. Paragraph 69. To be sure, it is true that those who despise the sacrament and live in an unchristian way receive it to their hurt and damnation, 1 Corinthians 11, 29-30. Nothing shall be good or wholesome for them. It is just like a sick person who on a whim eats and drinks what is forbidden to him by the doctor. But those who are mindful of their weakness desire to be rid of it and long for help. They should regard and use the sacrament just like a precious antidote against the poison that they have in them. Here in the sacrament you are to receive from the lips of Christ forgiveness of sin. 
It contains and brings with it God's grace and the Spirit with all his gifts, protection, shelter, and power against death and the devil and all misfortune. The sacrament is not the poison in our lives. Sin is the poison in our lives. The sacraments are the antidotes to battle that poison, to bring about the remedy that will eventually become eternal life with God in heaven. That is what we need to focus on in the scriptures, in the sacrament, is that it is Christ's word giving us the promise of the antidote to the poison that is already in us from our birth. So we continue on in paragraph 71. So you have from God both the command and the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Besides this, from yourself, you have your own distress, which is around your neck. Because of your distress, this command, invitation, and promise are given. This ought to move you. For Christ himself says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Matthew 9, 12. In other words, he means those who are weary and heavy laden with their sins, with the fear of death, temptations of the flesh, and of the devil. If therefore you are heavy laden and feel your weakness, then go joyfully to this sacrament and receive refreshment, comfort, and strength. Matthew eleven twenty eight. If you wait until you are rid of such burdens so that you might come to the sacrament pure and worthy, you must stay away forever. In that case, Christ pronounces sentence and says, If you are pure and godly, you have no need of me, and I, in turn, no need of you. Therefore, the only people who are called unworthy are those who neither feel their weakness nor wish to be considered sinners. Here is the big thing. And we have this among ourselves as Lutherans. We have this among ourselves as Christians, especially in the broader scope of evangelical Christians, and Protestants especially. Therefore, the only people who are called unworthy are those who neither feel their weakness, that they have gotten to be good enough without it, or do not wish to be considered sinners. These are big problems. The idea that either we get to a point where we no longer sin anymore, or that we don't want to consider the fact that we are sinners, that we are born sinful and unclean. This is one of the biggest problems I hear in the confession prayers at the beginning of the divine service. Is that I don't want to call myself a poor, miserable sinner. But you are. Without Christ, you are a poor, miserable sinner. Because there is nothing that you can do to give you salvation, to earn your way into God's grace and favor. Because it is not earned. It is given freely through the sacraments. Again, we have a question in paragraph 75. But if you say, what then shall I do if I cannot feel such distress or experience hunger and thirst for the sacrament? Answer, for those who are of such a mind that they do not realize their condition, I know no better counsel than that they put their hand into their shirt to check to see whether they have flesh and blood. And if you find that you do, then go for your good to St. Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Hear what sort of a fruit your flesh has. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Therefore, if you cannot discern this, at least believe the scriptures. They will not lie to you, and they know your flesh better than you yourself. Yes, St. Paul further concludes in Romans 7, 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
If St. Paul may speak this way about his flesh, we cannot assume to be better or more holy than him. But the fact that we do not feel our weakness just makes things worse. It is a sign that there is a leprous flesh in us that cannot feel anything, and yet the leprosy rages and keeps spreading. As we have said, if you are quite dead to all sensibility, still believe the scriptures, which pronounce sentence upon you. In short, the less you feel your sins and infirmities, the more reason you have to go to the sacrament to seek help and a remedy. You don't feel like you need it today? That's the very reason you need to go, because of your lack of feeling. If it all was based on your feeling, again, it's all about you. But no, the sacrament is all about Jesus for you, giving you the help and the remedy for your sins. If that doesn't work, Luther says in paragraph 79, in the second place, look around you. See whether you are also in the world, or if you do not know it, ask your neighbors about it. If you are in the world, do not think that there will be lack of sins and misery. Just begin to act as though you would be godly and cling to the gospel. See whether no one will become your enemy, and furthermore, do you harm, wrong, and violence, and likewise give you cause for sin and vice. If you have not experienced this, then let the scriptures tell you about it, which everywhere gives this praise and testimony about the world. Besides this, you also have the devil about you. You will not entirely tread him underfoot, Luke 10, 19, because our Lord Christ himself could not entirely avoid him. Now, what is the devil? Nothing other than what the scriptures call him, a liar and a murderer, John 8, 44. He is a liar to lead the heart astray from God's word and to blind it so that you cannot feel your distress or come to Christ. He is a murderer who cannot bear to see you live a single hour. If you could see how many knives, darts, and arrows are every moment aimed at you, Ephesians 6, 16, you would be glad to come to the sacrament as often as possible. But there is no reason why we t walk about so securely and carelessly, except that we neither think nor believe that we are in the flesh and in this wicked world or in the devil's kingdom. Therefore, try this and practice it well. Be sure to examine yourself, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, or look about you a little and just keep to the scriptures. If even then you still feel nothing, you have even more misery to regret both to God and to your brother. Then take this advice and have others pray for you. Do not stop until the stone is removed from your heart, Ezekiel 36, 25-26. Then indeed the distress will not fail to become clear, and you will, not, you will find that you have sunk twice as deep as any other poor sinner. You are much more in need of the sacrament against the misery, which unfortunately you do not see. With God's grace, you may feel your misery more and become hungrier for the sacrament, especially since the devil doubles his force against you. He lies in wait for you without resting so that he can seize and destroy you, soul and body. You are not safe for him for one hour. How soon he can have you brought suddenly into misery and distress when you least expect it. Okay, if you don't think you're in the world, you don't think you're flesh and blood, remember that you have an enemy about you. As I talk to the confirmands, as I talk to those who look to having their children baptized, what they are doing in the opening vows, and by renouncing the devil, his works, and all his ways, you are declaring war on the devil. You are saying that you are in a state of war with him because you have you are choosing to be on the side of Christ. Not that your choice makes it valid, but because the Spirit has moved you to accept 
the understanding, to accept what Jesus has promised you in the sacrament of baptism, in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. These things are yours, and you have the choice whether or not to take them. You have the choice whether or not to believe them. So choose to believe. Choose to listen to your Savior and take what he has to offer you. Because if not, the devil will not let you rest for an hour. He will constantly be on you. Whether it's him or it's one of his many minions, they will be on you, bringing about causes for you to fall into great sin and vice. All right, let's close up our look at the large catechism this week as we look at paragraphs 85 to 87. Let this then be said for encouragement, not only for those of us who are old and grown, but also for the young people who ought to be brought up in Christian doctrine and understanding. Then the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer might be taught to our youth more easily. Then they would receive them with pleasure and seriousness, and so they would use them from their youth and get used to them. For the old are now nearly past this opportunity. So these goals and others cannot be reached unless we train the people who are to come after us and succeed us in our office and work. We should do this in order that they also may bring up their children successfully, so that God's word in the Christian church may be preserved. Therefore, let every father of a family know that it is his duty, by God's order and command, to teach these things to his children, or to have the children learn what they ought to know, Ephesians 6, 4. Since the children are baptized and received into the Christian church, they should also enjoy this communion of the sacrament in order that they may serve us and be useful to us. They must all certainly help us to believe, love, pray, and fight against the devil. In his conclusion, not only of the sacrament of the altar section, but of the entire large catechism, he brings it all down to the most basic point. And we see this especially in the small catechism, each of the six chief parts, the title as the head of the household, as the father should teach it to his family. This is starting off in the home. This is not something that is just pushed off to church for that one hour on Sunday, hour, hour and a half, two hours during the week for confirmation instruction. This should be at home. This should be all of these things taught and explained everywhere at all times. Whenever the question arises from the children as to why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why do we believe this? We need to step up as parents, as godparents, as witnesses and sponsors of baptisms to proclaim the word of God so that it may continue to be passed on from one generation to the next. That our children may be brought up from an early age to understand the great mercy of God so that when they are older and they have children, they continue to pass that on. Not that they become, well, I've done this, I've done that. I've been baptized, I've been confirmed, I'm done with church. No, you're not. You're not done with church. Not until they put you into the ground after you're dead. And even then you're not done with church because you either are in the church triumphant in heaven or you are one of the cursed in hell that are not part of the church triumphant, that get to regret 
what they did in their life that brought them to that point, that time, that place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why do we proclaim these things? Because they are just that important. All right, that is it for this week. That is it for the large catechism. Again, as I said at the beginning of this episode, next week we look at sections two through four, the daily prayers, the table of duties, and the Christian questions and their answers that are found, again, many times seen as the appendix of the small catechism, but definitely something we need to take a look at as these things easily help us, equip us to wrestle with the theologies around us. Amen.